everyone. Welcome to the Understand the Bible podcast. We're continuing on with Genesis today. We're looking at Genesis chapter 4. Maybe not a chapter which is so well known as the first three chapters in the Bible, but as I was preparing on this one, I realized just how much there is in this passage. It's such an important one and really helpful for us to be looking at as we thinking as we think about the spread of sin and all that that means for us in the world today. Just to remind you once again that there is a YouTube channel as well where there's more content available. There's a a weekly live stream Bible study. Uh, I'm currently doing a course called Firm Foundations as well. And we've been looking at, uh, we're looking at who God is and we're thinking about what sin is as well, uh, just currently for the the next couple of weeks. And uh, also you might like, if you appreciate Understand the Bible, you might like to support Understand the Bible. Uh, You can do that by praying. You can do that by um, donation as well if you're able to. I really do appreciate all of your support and uh, thanks so much everyone for joining me i hope that you appreciate and benefit from this sermon and uh, all the links will be down below i'll see you again soon god bless well last week we were thinking about genesis chapter 3 and about how sin began not so not last week two weeks ago about how sin began and uh, this week we are continuing on to think about sin and we're looking really more at sin's ugly effects, the consequences of sin once Adam and Eve have been expelled from the Garden of Eden. Now what's interesting about this passage, um, and I was, I was talking about this actually with someone the other day, but you know, I preached quite a lot on Genesis chapters 1, 2 and 3, but from chapter 4 onwards I think we're a bit less, we, we look at those a bit less. But uh, I find this a fascinating passage, that it's really got a sort of um, everyman quality. You know, it's, it's like we're dealing with universal truth still here. And these are things which, which are um, directly relevant to us and to our society today. Um, so what does it say? Well, the first seven verses are really setting things up. Uh, they set up, it um, talks about Adam... Um, and, and Eve giving birth to Cain and um, she says with the help of the Lord I have brought forth the man with the help of the Lord so there is still there the, the relationship with the Lord so whatever happened at the fall there is still she still has that, that relationship there and I thought that was interesting um, and then uh, they have uh, Abel and so it says Abel kept flocks, Cain worked the soil, and they, in the course of time, they bring some of the fruits uh, of the soil. Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering, but Abel brought fat portions from the firstborn of his flock. So the Lord looked with favour on, uh, on Abel, but he didn't look with favour on Cain. Now, why is it that uh, the Lord accepted Abel's offering, but not Cain's? What was it? What was the difference between them? Because it doesn't really specify here in Genesis what the difference was. It does mention that Abel brought the first, the first fruits of his, his flocks, but it doesn't really specify. This is where if we turn to the New Testament, uh, we have an interpretation according to the book of Hebrews. Uh, chapter 11, verse 4, which says, By faith... Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. 
So that was the difference between them, that Abel brought the offering in faith uh, to God, rather than Cain, who presumably brought an offering maybe just because he had to, but it wasn't really out of that relationship with the Lord. And so that's why he reacts as he does. It says, when, uh, when the Lord does not accept Cain's offering, it says Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. He's angry, but he's not penitent. He's not sorry for, for what he did. He doesn't perhaps even realise what he's done. He's angry and he is downcast. And so the Lord says to him, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So it's, it's, God warns him, God warns Cain, that if he doesn't get things right, then sin is, is waiting. Sin is waiting for him. It's, I, I, I was reading something which talked about you know, being like a demon, you know, waiting at the door. That's, that's something that they used to, sort of an expression I think that they had waiting for him outside and ready to, ready to get him if he, uh, he did not turn back to the Lord. And I think that is what, uh, what God is, is saying to him, that the first and foremost thing is that Cain has turned away from the Lord and that sin is ready and waiting for him. And that's, that's the point, isn't it? That once we turn away from God, that's when sin comes in. And that's exactly, uh, unfortunately, what happens. Uh, Cain says to Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. And actually in that one verse, it repeats the words, his brother said to his brother Abel, Cain attacked his brother Abel. Just to make it clear, it is attacking his brother. And I think this is emphasised because it, it's showing that this is a not just a, a, an evil thing which happened, but this is an attack on, on creation. Now, this is not the way that we were made, that we were made to, to be family. We were made to be, to love one another. We were thinking about this in Genesis chapter one, you know, in the image of God, we were made to be a, a community of love. And this is a complete attack on the way that we are made to be as human beings. That's, the, that's the, the point here, that's what, that's what this, is, this is saying. So what happens then? Um, it's interesting to me that it's, there are real echoes here of Genesis chapter 3. So firstly, the Lord says, where is your brother Abel? Do you remember last, uh, last time in Genesis 3, the Lord says, where are you? He has to call out because they're hiding. Um, so that's the first thing. And um, again, in um, uh, verse 11, it says, um, he, he curses. And uh, he says, now you are under a curse and driven from the ground. You think about what happened to Adam and Eve, how they were under God's curse as a result of the fall. So it's kind of like history repeating itself. And um, the curse is very similar again. You know, he's driven from the ground. That was his, what he did. He was the, you know, in the agriculture, if you like. And um, he's driven from the ground. And it says that they would no longer yield their crops for him. Just again, very like the curse upon the ground that God gives in the previous chapter. 
Um, so it's, it's almost like history repeating itself. You know, it's just God restating the curse again for him once he'd sinned. And then um, Cain says, uh, verses, verse 13, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. He says, I'm going to be driven out from your presence. That, that relationship there is, is just so badly damaged, it is completely broken. You know, can, can no longer be there in the presence of the Lord anymore. And it says, um, I will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Now, I don't think here that Cain is saying, I'm going to be a nomad, like we see, you know, nomadic communities who never settle in one place, but always are moving around. I don't think that's what he means, because it says later on that he settled, he lived in the land of Nod, and then um, it says in verse um, 17 that he was building a city. So he clearly did settle somewhere. So I don't think he says, I'm going to be a, like a nomad. I think what he means is, it's to do with his uh, being hidden from the presence of God, not being there, um, relating, able to, to relate to God. There was... Um, a great uh, theologian and bishop from the early church called Augustine and um, he was at, in his youth he was quite licentious and he wrote when he became to Christ he wrote a book called the, his confessions and he talks about all of this but he said in that oh God you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless above all things until they find their rest in you that's what Augustine said our hearts are restless above all things until they find their rest in you, to God. And I think that's what Cain means here, saying that if we can't have that relationship with God, then we're restless. Now, we will always be wandering because we will never be truly home with God. That's where home is, not any physical place, but with God. And many people have that experience, don't they? That they may have everything in life, they may have every human advantage, but without God, it's all meaningless. And that's, that's the point. That's the point of this. But even here, we, I said that there are echoes of Genesis chapter 3. Even here, though, we do find God's grace. You remember last, last time that God clothed Adam and Eve. He gave them clothes. And here in, uh, in verse 15, the Lord says, uh, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over and the Lord puts a mark on him so that no one who, found, who finds him would kill him. So God shows his grace to Cain even though he had done something so terrible. And then the rest of the chapter is really talking about uh, Cain's family and um, it's, uh, we'll look at this just very briefly, but um, it, it talks about his children and it says how there are elements of, of what is good and right in here. It says in verse 20, Jabal was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. And verse 21, Jubal, Jabal and Jubal, um, was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes and music. And uh, Tubal Cain, verse 22, forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. So we've got 
the um, agriculture and farming, we've got music and culture, we've got technology in those three things. Um, so this is sort of like the image of God still being displayed, that even though that the sin had destroyed that relationship primarily with, with God, that it couldn't erase the image of God and that they were still, mankind was still uh, doing the things which God uh, had initially designed mankind for, for the, the creation of, of, you know, filling the earth and subduing it. So it's still going on. But, unfortunately, evil was spreading just as rapidly. And this is the point of, uh, of Lamech. And that little poem he said uh, to his wives there, uh, he says, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. And you think about that, that he killed a man just for injuring him. You know, not for any, not for any, um, you know, not to avenge a death, but actually he, he made things worse. And um, you think about what Jesus said about forgiveness, you know, forgiving not seven times, but 77. Well, this is, this is the opposite of that, isn't it? You know, if, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. He said he's going to make things 77 times worse than whatever someone does to him. And that's a very, um, we recognise that attitude, don't we? We do see that from, you know, quite often. I think people want to be avenged and Lamech was wanted to be avenged. So Lamech, we see the sinfulness uh, spreading throughout the world and we'll, we'll come back to that uh, next time. But there is a little bit of hope at the end. It says, um, Seth had a son, this is verse 26, and named him Enosh. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. And Enosh was the, the, the one through whom Noah came. And Noah is someone that we will come on to again in a, a few weeks, in a couple of weeks. So what can we make out of this, uh, this episode? I, I appreciate there's a, an awful lot that you could say about this. Um, but the, the thing that I've really been struck by is just this, the way that this is talking about the fall as it applies to everyone. This is taking what happened in Genesis chapter 3 and saying, now this is how it works itself out. This is how sin works itself out in, in the world. And I think it's meant as a warning to us. And what it says is that when we turn away from God, then we turn away from what's good. When we turn away from God, we turn away from what's good. Dostoevsky, the, the, uh, the author, he once said, if God is dead, then anything is permissible. If God is dead, then anything is permissible. And he witnessed some terrible things happening, didn't he? You know, through the, the Russian Revolution, the 20th century and, and, and so on. And that was, that was because they turned away from God. That was the, the, the problem. So what does this mean for us? I think it means that we ourselves need to watch first and foremost our relationship with God and how we are walking with him. I always remember when I was um, a few years ago, I was at a, a Christian conference called the EMA at the um, Evangelical Ministry Assembly in, in London. And one speaker was talking about how he had, as an apprentice, 
a young apprentice. He, he had been an apprentice to a, an older pastor who had fallen um, into sin some years later. And he said, uh, before it had all happened, he was, um, you know, as this young apprentice, he, he said to him, well, how do you have enough time to preach, you know, all of the conferences and the sermons and things that you preach? And he said, you know, the newspaper came down and, and um, this, this pastor said to him, I use my quiet times. And then it came back up again. And he said it still chilled him thinking about that moment because that, that moment was, you know, that he basically said, I, I don't have a living relationship with God. And what happened afterwards was a result of that. If we want to, uh, to, to walk rightly and morally, we need to walk, watch our relationship with God and prioritise that first. The second thing is for, for society, what implications does this have as, as us, uh, on, us, on us as a society? And again, I think we see this, that as we reject God, then sin will go from bad to worse. And I, I don't need to prove that to you, do I? You know, over the course of the, the 20th century, that is exactly what's happened, and now into the 21st century. That a hundred years ago, you know, our politicians and our media, even if they hadn't all been Christians, would have been much more comfortable talking about God and, and the importance of Christianity as a, in our nation's life. Now, you hardly ever hear a politician or the newspapers or, or what have you talk about God, ever. And you think this is, this is what happens. This is why I think what's happening at the moment is like a war on creation. I think so many of the things that are happening at the moment are a war on creation, a war on male and female, a war on, um, you know, that just so many things which are, which are going on. We've looked at that a couple of weeks ago. So let me finish with a couple of passages from the New Testament, which actually pick up and refer directly to this, just to, 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 to focus our minds as we come to a close. Um, the first one is uh, 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 11 to 15. And when I can find it, there we go, after Peter, that's it. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 15, which says this. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. John says we are to love one another. Unlike Cain, we are to love one another through the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the purpose of what we're doing here. And the second passage is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 and 24. And we'll finish with this. This is what it says. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, 
and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What this says is that whereas Abel's blood cried out to God from the ground and accused Cain of murder, Jesus' blood, it says, speaks a better word and it cries out to God and it says, forgive them. It says, forgive them. That's the point. Jesus' blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel because it cries out, forgive him. And that's where we need to be at the end of the day. We need to be in the blood of Jesus and we need to be forgiven through his blood so that we might love one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this passage from Genesis and we pray that you would help us to, uh, to continue thinking about these things. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to walk with you and prioritise that relationship with you day by day. And we pray that you would help us to remember Jesus' blood and always, Lord, to, to seek forgiveness in him that you might uh, cleanse us from our sins and help us to walk in your ways of love as we seek to love one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.